Thus says the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel, I will gather others to them besides those already gathered. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Jews will not replace us. Jews will not replace us. Jews will not replace us. So shouted the throngs of white people in Charlottesville, Virginia last weekend. They carried tiki torches burning in the middle of the night. They marched in formation and they shouted for all to hear what they really felt. And their anti-Semitic slogan could have gone any number of ways. While carrying around Nazi flags and weapons of violence, while defending white superiority and aggression, they could have shouted, Blacks will not replace us! Blacks will not replace us! Blacks will not replace us! They could have shouted, Gays will not replace us! Gays will not replace us! Gays will not replace us! They could have shouted, The handicapped will not replace us! The handicapped will not replace us! The handicapped will not replace us. Because all of those groups were targeted by the Nazis more than a half century ago for being inferior or a threat to their dominance. The angry and the assailing white people in Charlottesville could have picked any group to talk about, but they picked the Jews. They were there to protest the removal of a Confederate Civil War general statue. Many of them were there claiming to be there to protect their white Christianity, and yet... They announced for all to hear, Jews will not replace us. People reject others for all sorts of reasons. All kinds of reasons. White supremacists reject anyone whose skin pigmentation is different than their own. Hardline Democrats often reject those who are conservative and vice versa. And some people even reject others because of a sport team they root for. But in the church, in the realm of Christianity, to reject the Jews, to reject any marginalized group is simply unchristian. As Deirdre read for us, in God's vision of the Holy Mountain, Christians, we are the Gentiles who were invited to join the Jews. We are the outcasts. We are the foreigners and the outsiders that are grafted into God's great commission. To reject the outcast. To reject them is to reject ourselves. There are so many different types of Christianity in the world today. So many. Just drive around Woodbridge for 15 minutes. You'll see more churches than you could possibly have believed were here. In the United States, the number of Christian denominations is increasing every year, while the number of actual Christians is decreasing. And though the church is so varied and so different, though we have different theologies and different beliefs, there is one thing, just one thing that might unite all of us together, and it is a desire to appear inclusive. All you need to do is check a church website or a bulletin or a marquee on the front lawn, and you'll find words like this. We are open. We are friendly. We are inclusive. We're affirming. We're welcoming. We're full of hope. We're full of love. In our denomination... In the United Methodist Church, we say we have open hearts, open minds, open doors. 
Being inclusive is really popular in the church these days. Rather than appearing at all judgmental, we want others to know that we accept all people. Rather than seeming prejudiced, we want everyone to know that they're welcome here. And rather than looking at one's outward appearance, we want the world to know that we really care about the content of one's character. But the truth, my friends, is that a great number of people have been ignored, if not rejected, by congregations claiming to be inclusive, including our own. Much like the droves of people protesting in Charlottesville last weekend, we reject others for all sorts of reasons. Non-Christians often assume, thanks to the way the church is talked about in the world, that Christians are homophobic, or racist, or elitist, and now apparently anti-Semitic. And you know what? Some Christians are. And we should be ashamed. We should be ashamed for the horrible rhetoric of our past. We should repent for what we've done, even if we weren't there. Because whenever the church has rejected the other, we are forgetting the truth. That we were once accepted as the outsider. We were once welcomed as the other. And to reject the other is to reject ourselves. There's a beloved story that preachers love to tell about being inclusive, and it goes like this. There was a church in the middle of worship on one Sunday morning, a church with well-meaning, good-natured people in the congregation, and the pastor was standing up at the pulpit. You know the kind of pastor that has sleeves that are twice as wide as the body of the person standing up there? The preacher kept using his arms like this when talking about God's kingdom, kept waving these grand gestures about what it means to be a Christian. And while he was in the middle of preaching, the doors at the back of the sanctuary opened up. And standing at the doors was a man who had just walked off the street, a young man. He had been living out on the street for probably about six months. He smelled so bad that the preacher could smell him up in the pulpit. And the people in the back of the church, they stopped listening. Because they turned and they wondered what was going to happen to the homeless man. But he walked down the center aisle all the way to the front of the church, and he sat down, crisscross applesauce, right in front of the pulpit. And he leaned his head back, and he listened to the preacher. About that time, the oldest usher, one that was still using a walker, got up, and he started making his way all the way to the front of the church. And people were thankful. Finally, somebody's going to do something about this riffraff up at the front. The old man made his way all the way there, slowly, until he got right next to the pulpit and he put his walker to the side and he slowly sat down next to the man and he craned his neck up too to listen to the preacher. And at that moment, even though the pastor was in the middle of this great sermon, he looked out at his congregation he said, friends, you can forget everything I say today, but don't ever forget what you saw here at the pulpit. It's a pretty good story, right? It's nice, we can kind of imagine it happening here. We can kind of even conjure in our head who that old man might be who would walk to the front. It leaves us feeling nice and warm and fuzzy inside. But the story has a problem. Because the problem with that story is it still makes it about us and them. As if the church is the perfect one and those who are homeless are not. And they need to come here to get fixed. It makes it out to be that we have to include them into our lives. It results in us worshiping ourselves and instead of worshiping the God who welcomes us 
just as much as the young man who walked into the back. Isaiah had a really tough job. The Israelites were returning from captivity in Babylon to a confused place most of them had never even seen. And the word that Isaiah brings from God, it came to those who were returning. It came to those who were too poor to have ever been exiled in the first place. And it came to the foreigners who found them in that holy land to begin with. And all of them were uncertain of what their future was going to look like. All of them were afraid. And Isaiah offered them a vision of a place where each of them had a place. It is radical and unnerving to us with modern sensibilities. Whether we'd like to admit it or not, because in God's kingdom, everybody has a place, including us. Prior to the exile, to be part of God's community was largely based on who you were born into, what family was yours. But the vision of God from Isaiah today, the vision of who God invites to the Holy Mount, it has nothing to do with the family you're born into. It has nothing to do with genetics or cultural customs. It has nothing to do with the color of one's skin or even one's sexual orientation. It is all about behavior. Keep the covenant. Keep the Sabbath. Who we are as Christians is not about what we look like. It's about what we do. Loving God and loving our neighbors. God doesn't even care what church we go to. Though I promise you, Cokesbury UMC is the very best. (laughs) God doesn't care what church we go to. God doesn't care what outfit we wear to church on Sunday. God just hopes that we can live our lives in such a way that we will love God and love our neighbors. This text, this proclamation from the prophet, it's good news. It's good news to the outcasts. It's to those on the margins of life. There's a place for you. It's good news to those who are belittled for their identity, for the people that are not welcome in many churches on a Sunday morning. It is good news for those who are shamed by the world. But it is also good news for us because we are outcasts as well. We are Gentiles who have been generously grafted into God's vision of a mountain where all are invited to a house of prayer. The good news of this text is that we, we, the people who are already here, are invited to this place even though we don't deserve it. And that's the challenge with being a so-called inclusive church. Because being inclusive puts the power in our hands. But God is the one who invites them and us to the mountain. God is the one who gathers them together, not us. Because if it were left up to us, I promise you, we would fail. What happened in Charlottesville, Virginia last weekend was terrible. What happened in Durham, what happened in Boston, what happened in a great number of places in our country was absolutely terrible. And what makes it even worse is the fact that that kind of stuff happens here all the time too. So hear me when I say, that the practice of racism and bigotry is incompatible with Christian teaching. To gather with others with chance of saying the Jews will not replace us is incompatible with Christian teaching. Using tactics of violence and suppression to assert something like white superiority is incompatible with Christian teaching. If you turn on the news at all this week and saw what happened in Charlottesville and in other places, you caught a glimpse of evil. 
White men and women shooting pepper spray into the faces of black men and women is sinful and it is shameful. A white man driving a car into a crowd of people to indiscriminately hurt and maim and kill is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. An armed militia marching to intimidate and threaten others does not make sense in God's kingdom. And it's much more than what happened in that sleepy little town last week. The high rate of incarceration that is so heavily skewed toward black bodies is antithetical to the gospel. The muttering of racial slurs and religious discrimination that happens here in our community is offensive and it is wrong. The assumption that white is right and black is bad in whatever way, shape, or form it manifests itself is against the gospel. From the riots in Charlottesville to the backyard barbecue racism of Woodbridge, we are a fallen people in need of grace. We are sinners in the hands of a loving God. And this is why the vision of Isaiah, the vision of God's holy mountain, is so important today in particular. Because it is way too easy for a person like me to stand in a place like this, a place of privilege, and to talk about the need to include other people. It is way too easy for me to stand in a place like this with the privilege I have to condemn a group of people for what they've done and what they're doing when the very people we are meant to love. It includes the people on the margins, but it also includes the people responsible for the riots and the racism. If the vision of God's holy mountain were left to us to achieve, I promise you it would never, ever happen. Because our judgments and our fear of the other would prevent us from ever bringing that vision to fruition. We, like Israelites coming home from captivity, or the ones who were left behind, or the foreigners in a strange land, we can barely imagine what it would look like to be in a house of prayer with everyone. Even with Barack Obama and Donald Trump. One of the stories that wasn't told as, uh, as much on the news this week happened in Boston. A hundred white supremacists came out in Boston to say what they wanted to say. And 30,000 peaceful protesters came to stop them. A hundred versus 30,000. But what happened was the 30,000 started to get a little agitated and started to get a little violent and started yelling at the white supremacists. Get out of our town, that kind of thing. And a young black woman went and stood in front of all the white supremacists and led them in a line out of their way to safety. One young black woman stood to save the fates of a hundred white supremacists. Both sides are welcome in God's kingdom. They are welcome only when they change, but they are welcome nonetheless. And one of the things that we never cease to forget is that we were once the outsiders welcomed in. That we still are sinners in need of grace and mercy from God. And it is far too easy to judge and we forget lest not we be judged. Because only God could see this as a reality. Only God could call that young black woman to go and stand in the middle of 30,000 screaming and 100 screaming and say, there's a better way. Only God has the power and the freedom to gather all people to the holy mountain. For our God is in the business of making the impossible possible. 
Our God makes a way where there is no way. Our God sees us not for the sins of our past, but for the potential of our future. God sees the people responsible for the riots as sinners, but they are still in the realm of mercy. God sees the racist tendencies of our cultures and begins transforming perspectives through little seeds of change. God knows how judgmental we really are and says there's still a place here for you. Only a God that would give his only son to change the world could prepare a place where everybody is welcome. Only a God of impossible possibility could invite people like us into the fold. Only a God of mercy could welcome us back. So thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Last week, on Sunday morning, before worship, I was flipping through a couple news articles to see what had been going on, making sure that there were, I was aware of things that needed to be talked about. And I saw an article, and the title was, How to Know if Your Church is a White Supremacist Church. I thought, well, I'm a pastor. I guess I should find out if my church is a white supremacist church. So I clicked on it. How to find out if your church is a white supremacist church. And all it said was, if they don't talk about what happened in Charlottesville. And so last week we talked about it. Today we talked about it. Because I certainly don't want to be at a white supremacist church. (laughs) But I thought about it a lot this week. A lot. How to know if your church is a white supremacist church or not if they don't talk about Charleston. You know what? I think that's probably true. But you want to know how your church is a real church or not? Is if you're willing to say that all people are worth God's mercy. That to me is far worse if a church wants to say that there are people outside the realm of God's grace than we have no business calling ourselves Christians in the first place. 